Let's open to Luke chapter 12, please. Luke chapter 12, continuing on in our journey through the gospel of Luke. And today we're going to be talking about verses 4 down to 7. Let's go ahead and read those together, please. Luke chapter 12, verses 4 down to 7. Luke chapter 12, verses 4 down to 7. Jesus says here, verse number 4, And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? And not one of them is forgotten before God. But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. And I'd like to talk to you this morning based on these verses, on this topic, casting out fear. We'll talk about casting out fear. Would you please bow your heads with me and let's begin by talking to the Lord. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and we thank you this morning for the scripture. We thank you for the good singing. Thank you for the spirit of God that's been moving around already and we ask you continue to do so. Lord, I pray that you would help us this morning to cast out all of this ungodly and unnecessary fear. And Father, please turn our eyes today upon the Lord Jesus Christ, upon you, upon this great truth that you care about us. We love you. Help us, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you saw it, perhaps, in the song, or if you picked up on it. Uh, We were just singing the the song, Higher Ground. And uh, in verse number two of that song, it says, My heart has no desire to stay where doubts arise and fears dismay. I don't think anybody likes living in a state of fear. But let's be honest about it. Some of us, and I put myself in this category, we are a bit more prone to fear. And I think all of us are afflicted by fear to certain levels. Jesus, I believe today, is giving us some very important help to cast out all of this unnecessary fear. This song said, My heart has no desire to stay where doubts arise and fears dismay. Though some may dwell where these abound. Some people do dwell. They live their lives paralyzed by fear. This song said, though some may dwell where these abound, my prayer, my aim is higher ground. That's what we want to aim for today. That higher ground, living without the unnecessary fears Some people, it's just their personality, they're given to fear greater than others. Some, perhaps, it's the result of a traumatic backstory, and I think that does loom large in this subject. We have to factor that in. Jesus gives us, I would say, even some startling advice here. This is one of those moments that separates the Son of God from the rest of us. I would step in just from my own human mind and say it's okay to be a little afraid, especially of the topics that he brings up. But he says, there are some things you just should not fear. Why is this such a a necessary topic? The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, fear has torment. Fear, unnecessary, ungodly fear can torture you. 
It can hinder you from living a fulfilling life, but in some cases, it can even paralyze people from doing what they have to do. The wrong kind of fear, the Bible tells us, can be cast out. In 1 John chapter 4, in verse 18, the Bible says, but perfect love casteth out fear. Now, perfect love starts by receiving the love of God because it is perfect. But the the perfect love mentioned in 1 John 4 is actually your love being perfected. So as you grow in your knowledge and in your love for the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the things that you will see is that fear can be cast out. I don't know if you'd be familiar with this as an American. Of course, I might be more familiar with it, but I'm sure plenty of you have heard this quote before. In 1933, America had a new president voted in, federal, um, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. We call him FDR. And in 1933, he gave his famous inaugural address. This is right on the heels of what we called the Great Depression. America had just experienced several years of horrible, horrible financial struggles. FDR stood up and said, addressing the problem of the Depression, so first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. And he went on to say many other things about moving forward in that difficult time. And I understand within the context of of him giving this speech, I think he had something very powerful to say. What he was trying to say is, let's not be afraid to try. We have plans to get out of this depression, but we are, we're all going to have to work at this. We cannot be afraid of failure. We cannot use fear as an excuse for not trying. So when he says the only thing to fear is fear itself, I think that works within the small context of America's troubles at that time. However, in light of the grander and bigger picture of life, I don't think he's right. To say that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself is to remove God from the equation. According to the Lord Jesus Christ, if there's one thing, or in this case person, that you must fear, it is God Almighty. I will agree with FDR that a nameless, unreasoned, unjustified terror does in fact paralyze people. Sometimes you can even see it in people. They're just tense. They're worried. They're stressed. They're afraid. Of what? You can ask them, what's wrong? What's going on? I don't know. And those are the kind of fears that needs to be dealt with and cast out. FDR tells us, nameless, unreasoned, unjustified. He did not tell us exactly what those things were. He said they're nameless fears. You don't even know what you're afraid of. Jesus, however, in our passage, I believe he, he touches on three things in this passage that we should not be afraid of. He does so in, in some cases directly, and then in the other cases indirectly tells us three things we should not fear. And I want to walk you through these things. In verse number four, the first thing, we should not be afraid of death. You can see it easily in verse 4. I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill 
the body. After that, they have no more that they can do. Do not be afraid of death. Can I point this out to you? In verse number 1, look at the end of the verse. Jesus says, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. It's different to be aware of something and to be afraid of something. In verse 1, be aware of this. Take heed. Be mindful. These are dangerous things. It is good and right to be aware of the dangers of false doctrine, bad hypocritical religion, carnal living. It's smart to be afraid of a moving car when you're crossing the street. Right? There's just certain things that you should be uh, aware of. You, are, uh, you appreciate the dangers that come with certain aspects of life. But it's one thing to be aware of it and to know the dire consequences of that thing. It's a separate thing to be afraid of it. Jesus didn't say be afraid of false doctrine. He didn't say to fear the hypocrites. Just be aware of them and then deal with them. When it comes to death, should we be aware of it? Absolutely. We should be mindful of how devastating death is and can be. We should acknowledge how terrible the finality of death is. And what that does in a family's life, in an individual's heart, the people that are left behind, the toll that it takes. Death is incredibly serious in that way. We must not be reckless about our life. So when I say... In my attempt to explain and expound on what Jesus has said, when I say do not fear death, I'm not telling you take it flippantly. Live recklessly. Don't worry about it. I'm not saying that. Let me qualify what I am trying to say. When I say don't be afraid of death, understand your mortal body has an expiration date. And you need to accept that. You're not going to be here forever. This mortal frame will one day give way. And you will go the way of all flesh. Your, your mortal life is going to end either via the rapture or the reaper. <laughs> Somebody's coming to get you. It's either the undertaker or the overtaker. <laughs> but somebody's going to come and take you. And we need to acknowledge that, but not to be afraid of it. Jesus, the Bible tells us, he came to destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and to deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. You know, people do some strange things, some weird, even religious things to try to ward off and deal with death. Folks, you understand that if they bury you and put a ticket or a coin on your chest in the, in the casket, that doesn't give you bus fare to the other side. Spraying doom in your face will not rush out the unclean spirits. This is how witch doctors stay rich. This is what fuels the idea of witchcraft. It is the fear of death and somebody telling you that they can uh, add in this little juju or that little voodoo and this will keep death away or protect you in the time of death. My friend, that is somebody using and ignorance and fear of death to manipulate you and keep you subject to bondage. Jesus deals with the matter of death head on. And you're not going to find anybody better than Jesus to deal with this because the Bible says He came down and tasted death 
for us. He's the only one that you can truly trust when it comes to death. Tell me, Lord, what is it like on the other side? He went there and came back and can tell us all about it. He's the only one that can lead us through the chilly waters of Jordan as you pass from one land to the other, from one realm to the other. He's the only one because he died and was buried, but he rose again. None of your witch doctors did that. None of your ancestors did that. No Dumini did that. No preacher did that. Only the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, he's the only one that can stand with any authority and say, I am the resurrection and the life. And if you're in Jesus, you have no need to fear death. He's been there. He overcame it. So while I don't look forward most days to the prospect of death, <laughs> amen, some of you know what I mean. Amen. You younger folks don't get it, but you older folks get it. While I do not look forward to the prospect of death, I can boldly say, because of my Savior, I'm not afraid of it. Because I know I'm in His hand, and no man can pluck me out. I can boldly say, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not even death. Death will separate me from my family. It'll separate me from my church. It'll separate me from my money. What little there is. But it will not and can never separate me from my risen Savior. Praise God. Jesus went to the funeral of Lazarus, as you know. What an impact he had. They came to him before Lazarus died and said, Lord, your friend is sick. Hurry, go see him. He doesn't appear to have much time. And Jesus waited. He gave Lazarus enough time to pass on. And then he told his disciples, let's go wake him up out of his sleep. And they said, well, if he's taking a nap, that's probably good for him. And he said, listen, guys, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad. Strange. How could he be so glad? He said, Lazarus is dead and I'm glad because I'm going to use his death to convince you that I have power over death. This death is going to turn into a resurrection and therefore many are going to believe. As you can imagine, as Jesus and his disciples draw nigh the place of the funeral, Martha Sister to Lazarus comes out to meet Jesus and says, If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? What a statement that only Jesus could make. No one else could make that statement. So when Jesus says, I don't want you to be afraid of death, he, he can back up and support such a command. Because he says, I am the resurrection and the life. When Jesus got to the funeral, when he found the people there weeping, what did Jesus do? He wept. He didn't, remove, he didn't say that funerals and death and this terrible passing of life is, is a non-issue. He didn't say that we shouldn't be touched and affected by it. Even Jesus himself was affected by it. But that's not the end of the story. So even though, yes, it's heartbreaking and difficult, we have no need to fear death. 
Not if you're saved. But my friend, if the Lord Jesus Christ does not live in your heart, if you have never been born again, and if you do not have eternal life which comes from Jesus Christ, then I can understand why you would be paralyzed by fear of death. Because what will happen to me when my heart stops beating? What will he do with me? If you've come to Christ, you know the answer to that. But let me point something out to you in verse number four. This is not just any old death that Jesus is referring to. In our passage, Jesus is not talking about dying of COVID or old age or a heart attack. He's talking about a martyr's death. Do you understand that? So it's one thing, I think it's, we must be aware of how uh, tragic death can be. But Jesus is saying, people are going to hunt you. People are going to hate you. Just because you follow me, they're going to put you to death. And while they're doing it, they're going to think that they're doing God's service. They're going to believe that they're doing the right thing by torturing you and killing you. And Jesus said to his friends, don't be afraid. Do you realize how much faith that takes? How much dedication? How much commitment? You better be really convinced of everything Jesus has said to have that much faith. To say, Lord, even if it costs me my life, I am so convinced that you are the way, the truth, and the life. That when they come to take my physical mortal life, I'll have no fear, for thou art with me. I'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death because you'll hold my hand as we go. What a tremendous statement that only Jesus can make. What a tremendous expectation that only Jesus can expect. Don't be afraid when they come to kill your body. I think we easily forget because of the comfort of our situation, our spiritual situation in which we grow up and live. Religious freedom. Freedom of conscience. You're allowed to live out your beliefs. But let's not forget that the church, when it was born, it was wildly unpopular. In the first generation of Christians... The emperor of Rome not only tortured them, but then killed them, impaled them on poles, and lined the streets of Rome, lighting these people on fire, and used them as light post. And in the midst of such horrible persecution, what did the church do? It grew. You would think that it would scare people away from the faith. It didn't because the fortitude with which these early disciples stood and said, if this is what it cost, Jesus is worth it. We're not afraid of death. You can take our life, but you cannot take our faith. Only Jesus could expect such devotion. This leads me to my second point. It's also embedded in verse number four. Jesus, in verse 4, to be perfectly honest with you, he did not directly say, do not fear death. Look at what he actually said. This is directly what he said. Verse 4, I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body. So point number one, don't be afraid of death. Point number two, don't be afraid of man's opinion. Don't be afraid of them. That kill the body. Look carefully at what he said at the end. After that, after they've killed you, have no more 
that they can do. So let's, let's understand the totality of this. Death is the end of the conversation. That's all they can do. That's, that's it. That's where they stop troubling you. But there's a lot of other stuff they can do to you leading up to that. Jesus says, don't be afraid of that either. So, okay, we've talked about death in the general sense, and we've mentioned death in the persecution sense. But now let's talk about persecution a little bit more because it, it, it doesn't just happen by putting you to death. Persecution also comes in the form of people mistreating you because of your faith, cheating you because of your faith, saying ugly things about you, even down to the point of giving you an ugly look just because you're a Christian. All of these things are meant to scare us out of our faith. And Jesus says, don't be afraid of them. Whatever they might say or do. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly, boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. No matter what they say, no matter how ugly their comments, no matter how false their perception is of you, Jesus said, don't be afraid of what they're saying, thinking, doing, all the way to the point of death. Don't be afraid of man's opinion. Maybe some of you have a similar experience to me. Growing up in school, I wasn't very popular, especially the younger days. I got picked on during class, and then when it was time for PE or recess, you know, you go outside to play the games, I was picked on in class and never picked during the games. The one kind of goes with the other, right? <laughs> I was always the last kid. They picked the girl, then they picked me. <laughs> because I was, I was a little bit chubby. And I didn't dress like them. And I didn't talk like them. I wasn't saved, mind you. But my dad didn't have a lot of money. And my clothes weren't great. I didn't comb my hair like them. I didn't have friends. I was kind of an oddball in many ways. And I got picked on. And finally, I got tired of it. I got desperate. This is where man's opinion will bully you into making horrible decisions. And I decided at the age of 12, listen to me young people, I decided at the age of 12, I'm tired of being the outsider. I want to be liked by men. I want to have friends. So I conformed to their image. I begged my dad to get me the clothes that they would wear. I even had, to my great shame, I paid a young man $8 to be my friend. I was desperate. Hey, when you get scared of what people think of you, you do some strange things. And I told that friend, I said, tell me, tell me what all the bad words mean so I know how to use them. Just so that I could impress all the other kids in the class, because those are the things they would say. So I started telling the dirty jokes and using the bad language, and sure enough, I got friends. I lost my dignity. I lost my virtue. I lost my mind in many ways. But I got friends. 
I changed myself to match what they would like. Dear friend, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you should only seek to be conformed to his image, not to theirs. Don't be worried about what they think. There's only one opinion that matters. Divorce yourself from public opinion. What does God think of you? That is all that matters. Our desire is to try to share the love of God with this world, to help them understand that God does, even in their messed up condition, even though the world considers them an oddball, God's love is still available to them. They have access to the love of God through Jesus Christ. Our job is to make that love known to them. A man once said, A disciple should love all men, but not seek to be loved by all men. My end goal is not to get you to like me. My end goal is to get you to fall in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that will only happen once you realize the great love that he has towards you. So if it means taking a stand in the face of a world that hates me so that I can tell them that God loves them, let them say what they will. Let them think what they will. You don't need to go out of your way to be obnoxious and rude. You don't need to go looking for persecution. You don't have to make the world hate you. All you have to do is live like Christ. He said, if they hated me, and they did, they will also hate you. The disciple is not above his Lord. The servant is not above his master. Jesus came to declare God to the people, to tell them how they could find a loving relationship with their creator, and they killed him for it. They said all manner of evil about him just for that. Think, nothing less will happen to you. If you need, perhaps, an injection of boldness into your life, maybe a booster shot of it to stand against the world, I'll tell you a great exercise. I'll help you do it if you'd like. Grab a Bible, handful of tracts. We'll head out to the CBD. We'll just find a nice spot on the street corner. We'll hold our Bibles up. And we'll just say, the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. My friend, are you born again? My friend, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior? My friend, are you ready to die? Are you afraid of death? And stand there and boldly proclaim the name of Christ. And boy, I tell you what, some people walk by with some strange looks then. What has God into die? Um, what gebeur met home? Hij staan net... Yeesh. Verse 8. Why do I say... Use that as your booster shot of boldness. Verse 8, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. You don't have to go looking for persecution. Just live a godly life. Preach the gospel when you have the opportunity. In your workplace, in your classroom, in your life, opportunities will arise for you to stand for your faith. Listen, folks, this is one real easy way to tell the world where you stand when they come and invite you to go do the things you have used to do in your past. All you have to do is say no. And immediately the question will come up, why? You've allowed it. You've done that with us all these weeks and months. We've lived, students. You've lived the university life up until now. Why is the answer no now? 
What an opportunity for you to stand against the world and say, I'm sorry. I'm a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. He lives in my heart. And I can't do those things and continue to walk with Him. I I wouldn't dare take Him to that kind of a place because if I go there, He goes with me because He lives in my heart. I wouldn't dare compromise my relationship with Him. Perhaps they will feel as if you're judging them. That is not your intent. Your intent is simply to make it clear that you stand with Christ and not them. And the them... Them. Be not afraid of them. They may not like it, but they need to see you stand. Let me bring your attention to verse 5. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Please let me ask you the question. To whom is Jesus speaking? He's talking to, verse 4, his friends. Do you see that? His disciples. His friends. He says in verse 5, My friends, fear the one that after he has killed has power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Is it a good and right thing for any person on the planet to fear God? Yes. Would it be good for a lost man to understand that he is under the wrath of God because he's broken God's laws? He deserves to be punished and God will eventually, not that he wants to, but that he He must, due to His nature of holiness, He must cast you into that lake of fire. If a lost man would would wrap his head around that truth and fear God supremely, that would be the beginning of wisdom and knowledge for him. But that is not to whom Jesus is speaking. Jesus says this to His friends. Don't be afraid of what the world thinks of you. You need to fear God because you, as followers of God, as children of God, listen to this, you know the nature of the biblical God. You know that although He is loving, merciful, and gracious, gracious, He is also true, righteous, just, and holy. He cannot tolerate sin. He must, He must punish sin. Because we understand that about God. Listen, we fear God, not because we don't know what He's going to do, but because we do know what He's going to do. We take Him seriously and we know that He is the ultimate authority. It's not an ignorant, unknown, nameless fear. God tells us clearly, this is who I am. This is what I expect. And if you fall short of that, there are consequences. We as His friends, as His followers, we know that. And it drives us to say, I cannot be afraid of what they're going to say about me, think about me. I must tell them the gospel so that they can find their way out of the wrath of God and into the loving arms of a Savior. Do not fear death. Do not fear men. He tells us, yea, I say unto you, fear Him. It's for you and I, His friends, His disciples, to understand and know the nature of God. But this leads me to my last point. And that is this. Verses 6 and 7 are not five sparrows sold for two farthings. Right? So five sparrows, those are birds. Plenty of them in this area. 
So they were relatively cheap. You could buy five sparrows for two farthings, smallest denomination of money there was. He says, five sparrows sold for two farthings and not one of them is forgotten before God. Every time one of those sparrows gets caught in a trap, sold, and then eventually meets his fate by ending up on your dinner table, God is aware of it. God knows every ongoing with every bird, with every creeping thing, with every part of his creation, God is intimately familiar He's watching over every part of it. The point Jesus is making is clear in verse 7. Even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. Ye are of more value than many sparrows. If God cares so much even about the little birds and knows each hair on your head, then when you are facing persecution, God is also watching then. And God will take care of you then. So Jesus is addressing the ultimate problem of being persecuted unto death. And his point is to comfort his disciples, to say, you don't need to be afraid. Even in that very difficult time, God will still be there with you. God will still be watching over you. And although he may not stop the persecution, he will give you grace to endure it. So here's my third point. Do not be afraid of death. Do not be afraid of man's opinion. Thirdly, do not be afraid of problems. Now, the problem that Jesus is talking about is specifically persecution, but I believe this truth applies to any problem in your life. God is aware when a sparrow is having a problem. Hey, listen to this. You're going to like this. God knows it when you're having a bad hair day. (laughs) The hairs of your head are numbered. (laughs) He knows it. I'm not sure he's really that bothered by it, but he knows it. (laughs) Not Not one sparrow falls into a trap without God's supervision. Not one hair on your head gets moved without God allowing it. God is holy. He will punish sin. But listen, we as his friends, we know his nature. Yes, he hates sin. He must punish it, but we also know that He is filled with compassion. That He is love. That He is filled with mercy, which His mercies are new every morning. That His grace is is so deep we'll never get to the bottom of it. That He he cares about us in ways that we don't even uh, realize He cares about us. Why, Lord, would you number the hairs of my head? I don't. There are things he cares about in my life that I don't even care about in my life. That's how much he cares. It's one thing for me to say that I'm aware of my problems. We shouldn't be negligent and naive and say, okay, there's a problem, no big deal, I don't care. That's not the point. But we shouldn't go to the other extreme to say, well, I'll just sit back and abuse the kindness and goodness of God and let Him just fix all my problems and not do anything about it. I'm aware that I have responsibilities and I must take action, but I'm also aware that it's God's grace that enables me to deal with the problems. I am aware that just like any other human being, I'm going to be tempted, I'm going to be tried, I'm going to have bad days, but God is faithful. 
who will not suffer me to be tempted above that I am able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that I might be able to bear it. I'm aware of the nature of God. Yes, he will punish sinners, but oh, does he love his children. And even though God may not stop all of the problems in this life, some of his friends will even die for him. They know that even in that moment of death, that loving God is ready to welcome them home. And the Bible says, precious in the eyes of the Lord are the death of his saints. I want to remind you this morning that you mustn't fear the trouble in your life. God knows all about what you're going through. He knows about the problem. He's aware of it. He knows more about that problem than you do. David famously wrote, I had fainted. That means I I would have quit. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. Courage. Courage is action in the face of fear, not the absence of fear. Be of good courage, he says, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. He never promised that he would fix all of life's problems when the problem happens. He promised that when the problem happens, he would be there intimately aware of what you're going through, ready to give you the grace and strength to endure it. Every tear that has ever fallen on your cheek The Bible says God has a special bottle in which He collects it. Not one problem has ever been forgotten. God is listening. God is watching. God knows. He's catching the tears. He's waiting for you to give Him this great compliment of trusting Him regardless of the problem. To fear the problem is to say, God, I don't think you're big enough to handle this. Rather, in the face of the problem, to say, God, you are still God. You're still the loving, merciful, gracious, caring God. And even though I don't feel blessed in this moment, because I know you, I couldn't be more blessed. So I trust you, Lord. I trust you. Whatever the problem is, you'll carry me through. You'll never let me down. So I'm not going to be afraid. I'm just going to trust you. Don't be afraid of death. Don't be afraid of man's opinion and what they might say or think about you. Don't be afraid of your problems. Fear God because you know God. This is the healthy fear that will perfect your love and cast out all other fears. Let's all stand, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you need some time at the altar this morning, our pianist will come and play. You're welcome to come down. Maybe you got some problems that you've been worried about. and Maybe you need to just come lay them here at the altar and say, God, I'm I've been so occupied thinking about this problem. I want to start occupying my mind with you. Lord, I'm not sure what's going to happen to me when I die. God, I'm not ready for that. I'm not ready for that, God. 
We ask people all the time, if you died today, are you 100% sure that you would go to heaven? Friend, if you're not sure, we'd love to help you come to know Christ as your Savior and take away that fear of death. Casting out fear. Jesus expects a lot from us. To say that we shouldn't be afraid of those things. Problems, death, persecution. He's asking a lot. But he can back it up. Several are praying. If you need to come, please feel free. This is actually a very good exercise to overcome fear. Make your way down down to the altar, down that aisle. Say, I'm going to leave behind my fear of man. I'm not worried what others think. I just want to go talk to God for a bit. This is a a safe environment to practice that strong faith. While these are praying, can I speak directly to those of you that perhaps are not saved? Friend, if you're not sure what's going to happen to you when you die, I'd like to pray for you. I won't embarrass you, all right? That's why heads are bowed and eyes are closed. We're trying to give you as much privacy as possible in this moment. But would you be willing to say, Preacher, I'm not sure where I'm going to go when I die. And I'd like for God to help me with that. Would you just put your hand up? You can put it right back down. I just, I will pray for you. I can't save you. I can't make any decisions for you, but I'd like to pray for you. Anybody like that? Say, Preacher, just pray for me. I'd like to know more about that. Anybody like that? I'm not sure where I'm going to go when I die. You can put your hand up, put it right back down. Okay, I appreciate your honesty. Thank you. If you'd like to know more about it, please feel free to. You can find me after the service. I'll put you in touch with somebody that can sit down and privately discuss it with you and take out that fear of death. Some are still praying. Be happy to give them a moment. It's so easy to succumb to fear. It's so easy. I'll tell you when it happens in my life, when my eyes get off of Christ and onto anything else. That's been my experience. As long as my eyes are on Him, I feel safe and secure. As soon as I get to looking at pretty much anything else, my heart begins to tremble.
Father, thank you for speaking to our hearts this morning. Lord Jesus, might I thank you for these bold words that you gave us. I, I don't even like to think about the day that might come where our faith will be tested in such a severe way. Lord, help us to endure the small temptations and trials of our faith even now. And we trust that your grace will be sufficient no matter what the challenge moving forward. All of our problems, Lord, we want to put into your hands. Thank you for solving the the problem of death. Thank you for eternal life. And Lord, those that perhaps are struggling with that thought, not sure where they're going to go when they die, Please, draw them with cords of love so they might know you as Savior. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.